Your true North Star metric has always have to be customers because customers hold you to the highest standard there is. And I think uh, Jeff Bezos said it well that customers hold you to the same three things forever: faster, better, cheaper. No matter what competitor, bigger or smaller, comes after you, if you are getting better on these three dimensions every day, then that's where your North Star is. Hello and welcome to the Startup Operator Podcast. I'm Roshan Karyapa. Today, we're going to learn all about building a D2C brand, what it takes to compete against much larger incumbents and actually win and why you don't need a ton of cash, you know, if you are authentic and maniacal about your customers. Our guest today is Chaitanya Ramlinge Gowda, who is the co-founder of Wakefit, which is one of the foremost D2C brands in the country. They're growing really rapidly. Uh, they have some of the best mattresses and home accessories around. In fact, last year, they did about 636 crores in revenue. I speak to Chaitanya in this conversation about his journey. He failed twice before starting Wakefit, what he's learned from uh, the past and how he's applying those learnings uh, in this journey and a bunch of things around scaling culture, around marketing and what makes them special. This was a fascinating conversation, so stay tuned. Hey Chaitanya, welcome to the Startup Operator Podcast. Thank you so much for making the time. Likewise, nice to be here, Roshan. Thanks for having me. Wakefoot is a super interesting uh, startup and I have plenty of things I want to understand about your journey as well. But before that, you know, one of the questions that I ask second time or third time founders as you are, is what are they doing tactically or strategically different on this journey, right? Considering this is your third startup, I think we could start there. How is Wakefit different? How is Chaitanya 3.0 different? If you could take us through, you know, some of those learnings, you know, what you learned to do and more, more importantly, what you're not doing in respect to the previous ventures that you did, that would be really helpful. Sure. I think I'm, I'm a big believer in the effect of compounding Russian. There are definitely some things you carry forward and definitely some things you unlearn. I'll answer both of them separately. In terms of things that I have carried forward, number one is that every skill that I have learned in my first startup that shut down, second startup that shut down, has been useful here when I've been building Wakefit along with Ankit. Secondly, every lesson that I have learned in each of those startups and working in funded startups in between before we started Wakefit, again, those lessons are carried forward. For example, 2015, 16, when both Ankit and I were in jobs, and that's where we ended up meeting. We had both come out of our respective failed startups. He had shut down his one startup. I had shut down my two startups. And that's where we ended up meeting in another funded startup. And th that was the peak boom time where we were seeing companies raise hundreds of crores, blow it all up over six to nine months in a bid to get to the next milestone where they could raise the next round. Next round. So that gave us deep amount of discomfort. We couldn't, we had, here we were coming out of companies that were bootstrapped, angel funded, struggled for three years, shut it down. And here there were companies which were blowing up money in a bit to chase another milestone, which was not linked to customer traction. It was linked to what can get me to raise the next round. That really scared us. And so we made the exact opposite design choice here. And when I talked about skills and lessons earlier, I was referring to digital marketing, I was referring to community building, I was referring to the product expertise that Ankit has, the community and digital marketing I have. All of those things we ended up learning in our respective work profiles before, which we ended up carrying forward. Third thing that we've carried forward is people. Some of the people that worked in my first startup, then second startup, I got them jobs when I shut down those startups. 
and today some of them are part of our team here at wakefield so that trust that that was established in 2011 2012 2013 and then heartbreakingly we had to shut down that company and we lost touch but we stayed in uh, having that relationship and having gone through those troubled times and now in wakefield they're part of uh, the team for the last 3 4 5 years so people again relationships compound now coming to what we have not carried forward i think my whole pre entrepreneurship experience till 2011 was about management consulting which means you are paid to have an opinion and in entrepreneurship it's exactly the opposite where your opinions and hypotheses don't mean anything and so it took me a few years of unlearning to go through that to truly have the humility to say customers know what they want you just have to listen carefully so i think that is a big big unlearning and core dna of wakefit the second core dna of wakefit is to always always keep customers and our employees at the center of what we do you treat our customers well only by treating our employees well so we did not lay off employees during our covid first wave covid second wave we were one of the first companies in india to get a covid insurance when the first lockdown came in 2020 we ensured that at our cost we got everybody vaccinated when vaccination slots were just not available so those kinds of things everything again compounds because if you treat them well they will treat the customers well right fantastic points and uh, especially the previous point that you mentioned right which is this whole analysis paralysis that kind of happens typically i notice this uh, when people are transitioning from a larger setup into a startup whereas i mean execution at startups is uh, almost you know antithetical to that i mean it's opposite of that right i mean you do something you iterate you learn and then you figure things out so you know you mentioned your background in consulting and operations little bit of product when you looked at the mattress industry right what was it that appealed to you and what what made you say that hey you know what i'm going to take my time and future on this what were some of those things that you saw uh, looking at it from first principles that felt very obviously wrong sure to tie the loose ends of what the previous question and how you sort of paraphrased it totally agree with you if i have to encapsulate it in one sentence it is progress over perfection so you make mistakes you do partial comfort but you keep moving forward because there's no such thing as perfection you discover it along the way now coming to your specific question now the mattress industry dynamics itself was completely broken when we started looking at it and both of us came with very diverse set of experiences right ankit knew the forming Uh, from the chemistry side intimately given his experience in that industry i came from a place where i was building digital communities on a shoestring or a zero budget and so it became very organic that i would handle the demand side and get orders and ankit would handle the supply side and grow it but to get here the fundamental insight that we had was that we felt initially that the mattress companies were extremely profitable companies and we thought that are this is the cost of raw materials this is the cost of labor but the selling price is way higher than what adds up from this so that means these companies must be superbly profitable so the first thing i did was go dig into their annual reports and the first surprise for me was that they weren't really profitable companies they were mature unit economics which means ebitda of 9 10% pat of about 4 5% which are the numbers that you see in any very mature sector we didn't understand a little bit of interviews and digging in the market gave us the insight that some of these uh, cities have two to four levels of middlemen between the brand and the customer and each of them was taking a cut of the margin and that's why the customers were paying a highly inflated price point the second uh, big thing that we saw was uh, decision fatigue and confusion same brand you go to two stores store one will have five six uh, skus that are not present anywhere you go to same brand ka another store in the same road and you will find very different skus of the same brand 
and each of them is priced differently it feels differently and then you do some more research as a consumer you will see that there are 150 to 200 mattress types and everybody is pushing what is going to give them a high commission not what you like it. if roshan karyapa has a fitness regimen and he's a fitness buff what does he like and what does he suit if another lady is 65 kilos what product thickness dimensions work for her and why is it specific to her nobody is caring everybody is trying to push what gives them commission so we said we'll solve both of these problems number 1 we'll remove all the middlemen and pass on every single saving to customers so that means we'll be much more affordable secondly we will deeply care about the customer and reduce their confusion we will have only four types of mattresses that will serve everybody's needs and we will be so good at that through our r&d through our laboratory testing and so forth that customers will like one of these product and when we answer questions we don't give a shit about commissions we really care about what works for this customer what is their lifestyle what is their weight what is their fitness regimen what is their current mattress and then recommend what works for them and then after that also give them a 100 day trial policy say then you try it in the privacy of your home you don't like it we take it back and refund your money so that became the dna of the company that came from the pain points that were existing in the market after that we have applied the same for accessories furniture and all of that as we went forward right and your background in consulting certainly helps right i mean you must be used to abstracting from daily operations looking at the market and seeing it in perspective related question on the same lens what is your advice for people who are similarly looking at different domains through first principles right how far does first principles take you what does it not prepare you for and what should they do basically first of all i would not care to give any advice because even though all advice is well intentioned i really don't know the person's business so please take whatever i say with a pinch of salt because every founder is the best judge of what their business stands for but having said that the thought process that you see in every startup is that initially couple of founders or one founder start off a company based on very pressing problem that they notice in the ecosystem then they solve it through first principles thinking then they hire a bunch of generalists who are able to do everything and anything these are basically stepneys one day operations is broken one day customer support is broken one day some product issue is there and there are very big number of generalists who are youngsters who are very hungry to solve anything and everything and they thrive on that variety of problem solving and they don't have any hang ups in doing one day customer calling one day research one day actual delivery they have no hang up they just want to do everything and anything and then you reach a scale where you need specialists where if you're doing visual merchandising you need somebody who's done visual merchandising for 10 years if you're doing product selection and sku design you need somebody who's done furniture design for 20 years in their life so every startup goes through this founder hypothesis and initial first principles problem solving then generalists to sort of scale and run that to a particular point then specialists who come in at each point my only suggestion is please understand which part of the journey you are in and then at the first principles thinking there is no amount of sitting in your room and reading will give you the lessons that you need compared to actually speaking to customers so go deep into your industry be the best subject matter expert there is in the country in your industry and that is possible by talking to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of customers there's no shortcut for this but once you do this the insights you also have nobody can beat you so if you are in the first principles part of the journey that i just shared speaking to customers is probably the best input that you will receive 
right? On the same lines, right? Uh, persisting with that. What was the process of going from idea to product to company? You know, I'd love to understand how you, for example, validated the product market and then, you know, jumped in with both feet, right? What was it like building early teams, talking to these prospective customers? So if you go back six or seven years to Wakefit's uh, founding, right? What was that first year like? I know, I mean, a lot of things would have happened in that time. But if you were to sum it up, right? I mean, let's say three to six to nine months, you know, what was that like? And what were those early signals that kept you going, actually? Having shut down three startups between us, we honestly did not have any grand ambitions. Our ambitions were very small. To start with, we said we want to be able to build a business that sustains on its own. No external funding, nothing. Second step for us was to take one person's salary. Third step was two people's salary. Literally, we thought, okay, if we have done this after having shut down three startups, we are in some way successful. That was the simple goals that we took. And to do that, we kept our costs very, very low. And we started selling only on Amazon. We did not have Flipkart. We did not have our own website for the first three or four months. And when we got listed there, I still remember the very first customer that bought was an NRI. We were amazed. This mattress is costing some, back then it was costing some 18, 20,000 rupees. It's an unknown brand. Zero reviews. Some untested founders. If he searched on Google, he would not find anything about us. Why did he buy? Why did he place this faith in us? It was a big responsibility on us, but why did he buy? So we called the customer. He said, hey, I've just come back from the US and this on buying mattresses online has started there in the last 9-10 months. So I've tried it there and I thought I should try it here also when I saw this listing. I just went on Amazon and I found you. So that really opened our eyes saying that there is a set of early adopters who are okay to try us. Maybe it will become a small lifestyle business of 10-20 crore over the next few years, but at least let's go ahead and run it. That was a thought process then. And that steadily became a trickle of one order every two days to one order every day to about seven, eight orders a day by six months. So that gave us comfort that, okay, we can quit our jobs and restart all over again. Because we had literally emptied out our bank accounts again to start Wakefit. Because we had taken up a job because we had no money. And now we were quitting the job, emptying out our accounts, again starting Wakefit. So it didn't make sense to anybody around us. But the confidence that came was because of this. Every customer we would speak, we would understand why they bought us. So somebody would say that I read this FAQ and uh, this gave me confidence that it suits my current bed frame. Okay, we doubled down on FAQ. Somebody said, I purchased this uh, product uh, because there were some 10 reviews and there were no other listings available because we were one of the first movers. But when I got the product in a cardboard box, I, it freaked me out because I paid 20,000 rupees and it came in a bloody cardboard box. So next day we went ahead and changed the packaging. Then somebody told us that, Array, your product is nice, it's nice. I've been using it for three months, but my baby peed on it in the first two months. So now your product might last me 10 years, but I'm living with that stain for the next 10 years. So we immediately created a product called Mattress Protector. And we came up with two layers of covering where one of them could be washed in the washing machine so that you don't have to live with the stain for 10 years. This steady trickle became eight to 10 orders a day to 20 orders a day. And it kept giving us comfort that, okay, we are heading in the right direction and we need to keep improving. That was a trigger, trigger point for us. That's amazing. And you're right. I mean, 2016, I don't think people were used to buying mattresses or anything online. Even in the US, I think, uh, you know, if you look at D2C brands like Casper or so on, I think they've started probably around 2014, 2015 era, right? So I'd love to understand, you know, what goes into changing that buyer behavior. While I understand that you might have been when the shift was happening anyway, what are those two or three things that you did to convince people to buy differently? 
so although wakefit was incorporated uh, in 2016 we were running the same concept under a partnership type of a company in 2015 itself so you are absolutely right there was no listing category in amazon nobody in india was buying mattresses online this whole thing was new but we were very early to the game but how did we earn the trust of the customers there are two three observations that i want to make first one is that every single piece of marketing communication on pr on humorous viral content on our really viral campaign that went live uh, sleep internship every single place we emphasized a single message that the way you have been buying mattresses for the last 5 6 decades which is going to a store lying on the mattress for 5 minutes and convincing yourself with a story that ha huh, this felt better than that is actual rubbish so everything was focused on that saying that that was a wrong way to buy please buy something and try it longer because your body reacts to it only after you sleep for many days so it was focused on that second big thing that we did consistently to make a very simple public promise and stick to it no matter what at that public promise in our case was a 100 day return policy so there were no tnc there were no fine print hidden in the bottom of the page nothing the simple public promise you don't like it we will take it back in the 100 days and refund your money and when i say simple kindly note it cannot have terms and conditions that if you used up this much this much will deduct some complex mathematical formula none of that because you know that some people will game the system and misuse the product but you are betting on the fact that a large number of people will be honest middle class people like us so that's when you took that call and that was a second big thing the third big thing that we did to change customer behavior was to have a very rigorous post sales engagement with them so we would call up customers and tell them that we are calling from wakefit your body is going to undergo certain changes over the next 14 days some days you might wake up with a stiff back some days you might feel that you slept very well no problem kindly use it for 14 days at least at a stretch and if at all you don't like it any time in the 100 days kindly call us we'll help you out nothing to worry you have imagine a customer has parted with their hard earned money of 10 15 20000 20, and two days they don't like it imagine the anxiety that they will be feeling what if this company cheated me what if they don't take it back what if they cut some money before refunding who are they how will i trust so we did these three things consistently every piece of marketing communication focused on method of buying secondly this simple public promise of 100 day trial policy and thirdly rigorous post sales engagement to arrest any kind of anxiety that they might have that was involved in the actual changing of behavior right and that would have been in such stark contrast to you know what the incumbents were doing right and you know we'll get to that question on you know competition and incumbents but you know if i would step back and look at scaling d2c itself right i mean it's very very hard unlike software where it's a bits and bytes thing i mean it's actually atoms and molecules you are actually moving physical goods right and in your case i mean you're talking about mattresses and home accessories and so on which again you know take significant effort what are some things that you know people should keep in mind while scaling a d2c business that could be you know very different from you know other businesses there are few lessons that we have learned on the way the first one is that your biggest ally is word of mouth no amount of marketing budget or high spending on cac is ever going to uh, sustain in the long run and 
no matter what your product quality if it is not good it's not going to sustain so product has to be right and then delight them so much that word of mouth is amazing second thing that we have learned is every successful d2c brand has a hero category or a hero sku that is always the thin wedge to enter that market and earn the customer trust so i see a lot of d2c brands launching four sub brands 25 skus from day one spreading themselves too thin usually it is a losing battle you are a very small company imagine that even today at 636 crore of revenue that we did last year we are a small company that means you have very limited resources financially as well as mentally so pick a hero product that really gives you that depth to go into the market and delight customers with a kick ass product and kick ass service that's the second thing and the third thing that i would like to reemphasize is post sales engagement i think this is a completely underutilized lever in front of us most brands sell and they're done with the customer but if you treat it transactionally customers also will treat the brand transactionally so if you uh, engage with them share their anxieties help them with their value added services uh, customers will reward you these are the three suggestions i would give based on our learnings right so you are at the 636 crore revenue mark which is very very significant uh, for a d2c brand perhaps puts you in the top 5 10% for sure right if you were to break down the journey in terms of say you know 0 to 10 to 100 to 500 or 600 what were some of the significant growth or acquisition levers at each phase i understand you have a background in digital marketing etc but are you also evaluating let's say partnerships when did you start engaging with influencers so on and so forth So for our marketing big levers that we used were content marketing. We knew that we could never go head to head with a large incumbent in either sleep or in furniture or home decor. So we took the route of saying that we will go deep in content marketing. So even in content marketing we put a few rules for ourselves. Uh, number 1 that it has to be highly entertaining. Number 2 each piece of content would have a nugget of knowledge about learning something new. embedded in it and thirdly we should earn the privilege of the time so if the customer or audience is giving us their 2 minutes of their valuable time to view a piece that we done we should really earn it we should not take that trust and abuse it we should not do that so these three rules is what we used and every single piece came out from there only we did a message of unity campaign where we said we'll attract messages from across the country about unity and we'll attach those messages and ship a mattress to our prime minister that gave us hundreds of pieces of coverage when we did sleep internship season 1 we attracted 1.7 lakh applications for being a sleep intern when we did season 2 we got 5.6 lakh applications thirdly we did the pandemic year we did the 2020 to bhad mein ja the kawali series so it was very like i said it has to follow all of those three guidelines that we have set for ourselves and that is why we never put the brand at front and center and said buy now buy now buy now we took the approach of saying we are your companion in whatever anxieties or problems you are going through and we are there with you we are not here only for a sale that was the approach that the brand took that's how we grew step by step I really love that focus on brand right I mean I think especially for a new startup as such I mean it may 
uh, it, it sometimes feels like a luxury you might want to spend your ad dollars or ad money on stuff where you see an immediate uh, roi as such but yeah i mean that focus on brand even at an early stage has uh, given outsized returns for you and at wakefit i feel you know personally when i look at it there are two ways you reinforce this brand one is you know through your maniacal customer focus if i look at reviews on amazon you're at something like 4.8 on flipkart you're 4.5 very very high ratings you know you have you know 1 lakh plus ratings on these websites and the second thing is doing these entertaining things right getting people to talk about you and engineering these conversations so what is your advice on the marketing front you know because as a marketer you know when people talk to me the first impression they have is that you need a lot of money for marketing right or that only big brands can afford to do marketing but you are actually proving that you know hey even an upstart even when you are starting out from nothing you can be smart about your marketing you don't have to you know spend uh, you know hundreds of thousands of dollars or whatever and still have phenomenal impact right so for a founder or for early marketing teams what what is that advice that you would give i think one thing that has remained true throughout our marketing thought process with everybody in the marketing and growth team is uh, the authenticity if you are fake and doing something only for the sake of marketing or pr customers see through it very 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 quickly when we designed the sleep internship campaign we were really passionate and having a blast we were having great fun designing that campaign because we knew that we were turning a paradigm on its head we stand for sleep every successful person talks about how they sleep only for 3 hours 4 hours but if you really see people who are amazingly successful they sleep 9 10 hours you talk to Roger Federer you talk to LeBron James you talk to any scientist Einstein's diaries you read Charles Darwin's diaries you read they all slept for 9 10 hours and so we said let us celebrate every single person who values sleep over their work calls over the latest next netflix show over other partying so let's celebrate those people and give them 1 lakh rupees for completing a 100 day internship give our mattresses for free sleep trackers for free not to take any data for ourselves but for them to publish it how they see fit we had such an amazing fun time designing it and in season 2 we made it bigger so it was very true to who we stood for second thing i'll give you an example is uh, we did the kumbhakaran campaign last year in about uh, august september uh, we created quietly we created a, a profile for kumbhakaran on linkedin and called him chief sleep officer and we started engage and we said we created a complete profile narad university sleep degree then where all lanka mein what he did we created job profiles his experience in sleeping all of that by taking all the facts from mythology and we started responding from his handle to all kinds of people that went crazy and we had fun doing it and it truly stood to the dna of the company last month we released this campaign saying right to nap we said we as a company will declare 2 to 230 pm as nap time hr will actually send out a block on calendar for every single employee 1500 employees everybody would have this block saying that you want this half an hour to recenter yourself meditate take a nap sleep go for a chai break do it that's why i said it's authentic and it relates to what we stand for and we have a blast doing it it's not a forced fake thing so when you think about marketing it's not the money behind it it's not how beautiful the film is it's the strength of the idea you won't believe it the most viral campaigns that we have done haven't costed more than 5 6 lakhs the most viral campaigns and any series a funded or pre series a funded startup can afford this budget so it's the strength of your idea and how powerful that content is and is it resonating and then budget is second right that's fantastic and you're doing this in perspective with the market right but when you're going up against larger incumbents it can be really scary you know i 
happened to read this interview of HUL India CEO, right? Where he said that, you know, HUL adds about 5,000 crores uh, a year, every year, right? And at that scale, you know, growing 10, 15%, that's, you know, 500, uh, 100 to 500 crore run rate is, you know, 100, all this 100 crore, 500 crore stuff is just rounding off error. It's nothing yeah. to us, right? I remember reading that and thinking, my God, I mean, imagine being a D2C guy, like, you know, competing with this brand, right? So you may have incumbents in your space who are you know similar in that nature right they're also probably thinking with that how do you think about competition generally when i talk to people about competition they either are extremely ignorant of it or they're like very very paranoid about it what is your perspective on competition and what is your advice to you know davids of the world who are competing against goliaths who are going up against similar large incumbents so how can they succeed I think the way we look at competition is twofold. Firstly, the large incumbents who are respected companies who have been there around for decades. But every large company has a fundamental weakness, which is where is their current 99% of revenue coming from? If you identify that, they are very, very, very scared of touching anything in that 99%. And therein lies your opportunity. Uh, In our case, that 99% is nothing but the distributor network. So they know what we are doing. They know how we are disrupting them. But they're unable to move because their factories, their processes, their revenue channels are giving them 99% of their current revenue. Very few companies have the guts to say, my old way of doing business is dead. I need to reinvent myself. 99% of the companies say, I want to protect what I have. So that is the weakness. It's not technical capability. It's not skill. It's not ad dollars, nothing. What is giving them 99% of their revenue? they will not want to touch it. That's where their weakness lies. The second way of looking at competition is even though we are growing and disrupting somebody else, nature of D2C is such that tomorrow somebody else can be more nimble than us. So we can never say that, oh, we are the Davids, we'll go disrupt the Goliaths. But we can never rest on our past laurels. We are only as good as the last month's revenue. So we are constantly on the lookout for new companies that have the potential to disrupt us because the disruption cycles are reducing. Earlier, an S&P uh, company S&P 500 may they used to be there for about two three decades today it has shrunk to seven years average that means a company is getting disrupted every seven years and kicked out of the S&P 500 so that means we can never say that oh those big companies remain for 50 years now we are disrupting them so we have 50 years more that's gone somebody will disrupt us in the next two years so we are looking at competition in both ways but i think that is just to be aware aware of what is happening your true north star metric has always have to be customers because customers hold you to the highest standard there is and i think uh, jeff bezos said it well that customers hold you to the same three things forever faster better cheaper no matter what competitor bigger or smaller comes after you if you are getting better on these three dimensions every day then that's where your north star metric is yeah that's i think the broader context what he said was uh, basically that focus on those things that are unchanging you know i mean even uh, five ten years down the line nobody will say that hey i hope this is less yeah. faster or a little more expensive right or a little less quality uh, yeah. and focus all of your uh, energies on that that's a fantastic quote actually yeah so today, Wakefit is looking beyond mattresses, right? You're adding other, you know, home accessories and covering other aspects of the home as such. How are you thinking of product? And when you look at, you know, the plan for the next 18 months or so, what do you have uh, coming up? I think we have chosen home as our playground. So which means anything and everything that falls under the roof of the home should be serviced by Wakefit. So furniture journey started about two years ago. It's already contributing to more than 20% of monthly revenue. Over the next 18 months, we see that we will go deeper into more categories. 
in the home space and secondly more designs and options within each category that is going to be a single minded focus to cover more and more of the home and service that need of the customer and stay true to the dna of the company that we have to be extremely affordable to every single middle class customer anywhere in india as long as we are true to that dna and we are expanding within the home that's where our journey will be right i'd like to shift the gears to more advice for entrepreneurs right we're seeing a slowdown right now and uh, people again i mean you know there's a lot of hue and cry on twitter and elsewhere right and and it's easy to sort of lose focus right and given to the noise what is your advice to entrepreneurs on how they can keep focusing on their business uh, go about building kind of tune out the noise and continue to do what they're really good at right i think few examples i can think of is how you've been really cash conscious from the beginning is this stuff that you know people can develop you know what is your advice on that front I think one observation that I have is that there are two kinds of industries. One, there is a very strong network effects in play. For example, Uber or Ola, where it's a winner-take-all market. The more demand you generate, uh, the more drivers you have on your platform, uh, it's very hard for anybody else to come and break into that. But the problem is, every category's founder. thinks of it as a winner take all market and spends money and trying to do a land grab of users thinking i'll make money somewhere down the line but that's very incorrect a large part of the industries where startups are currently playing edtech fintech these are not winner take all markets you can be a very successful 2000 crore brand yeah. if you just build it right so the, my biggest problem is that every founder behaves as if it's a winner take all market and it's an asset like platform where network effect is the only way to win the market so i feel that kindly look at your industry dynamic and be crazy about delighting your customers because when tough times come no investor will come and save you customers will save you and this cash conscious being frugal all of that should be part of your dna it's not something that you activate as a button every time there's a tough period it's a it's your dna you're building something that has to stand the test of time and if you're constantly blowing up money to get to next milestone it's not a sustainable way to build a company it's as simple as that right. obviously you need to do that in a network effects built business but everywhere else you don't need to apply that principle Yeah. No. Since you bring up edtech, right? So we cover you know news and events every week, and I used to be baffled almost every week when you know we would have these acquisition stories, right? You know, some of the larger folks uh, acquired as many as you know eight or ten or twelve startups, you know, almost one a month. And I would think that hey, I mean, all I need to start another edtech platform is a, is an internet connection, a working internet connection, perhaps, and I can start teaching, and I can aggregate, and I can become a platform, right? And how is all of this consolidation actually going to help, and how is it going to matter, right? And Yeah, that that used to really baffle me, you know. Sometime last year and stuff, but hopefully, you know, more saner times are sort of returning, and people people actually do a proper rational check on, you know, what business they're in and how they should execute. Actually, very true. I don't think this is a downturn or a tough time. I think it is like you rightly worded it. It's a return to rationality. Yeah, I mean, someone said it very well on Twitter the other day. You know that if this is a a slowdown or a downturn, this is the best slowdown or downturn I've ever seen, right? Because sometimes it doesn't feel like one, but let's see how it uh, kind of unravels. At every step of the journey, right? I think the founder has to kind of outgrow himself or herself and add new things. You know, change their mindsets. You know, build all these additional you know tools and arsenal, right? That will help them in the next leg of their journey. What are some of those things that you are? kind of deliberately building for you know yourself i think founders go through this in a startup fails they go through one type of learning when it succeeds they go through another set of learning only ankit and i when we hit 100 crore annual revenue 
we had never managed a 100 crore company in our life so we had to learn how to do that when we hit 300 crore we had never managed a 300 crore company we had to learn how to do that then today we are heading towards a 1000 crore revenue this year hopefully and we have never built or run a 1000 crore company in the past first time in our life so different founders approach it differently i had friends who use founder networks to meet up for a beer catch up over informal meals to use other founder friends as sounding boards some other founders use investor friends uh, as a sounding board because investors might have seen more such situations more such environments more such tough times and good times some other i fall into the category of the third bucket which is basically i read voraciously i listen to podcasts and bangalore traffic gives you a lot of ample opportunity to do that so i read voraciously i'm always reading books i'm always reading the latest articles i'm always listening to podcasts and that's where a lot of my learning comes from because at each stage it's nothing but taking a step back as the company matures at each stage it's about taking a step back and trusting the team that you have hired to do the right thing and just guiding them with the guardrails of the dna of the company for example we can never do something that will harm the interest of the customer we can never do anything that disrupts or worsens our sls that we have committed to customer but if you take out all of those non negotiables you just trust the team to do right things and you have hired them you have taken the bet on them and then there's no point micromanaging or getting involved in every single small decision or getting them managing how their hr is spent you really should not i think the biggest thing for me that i've learned is how to take a step back at every single stage of these last 7 years and at every year and every milestone as the team has gotten built how do you take a step back guide them but let them do their own mistakes let them do their own initiatives and then learn from that i think that's the biggest thing that you will do as you go along because as a founder you are very very invested and your natural temptation is to dive in and solve that problem the problem is that you are never building scalable organization if you do that right no at some level i think culture overrides process right you have to have that embedded deep in your dna what are some ways you're reinforcing this you know because i think you mentioned 1500 employees you know you're at 600 crore something you might you know you're you're going towards 1000 crores how are you embedding this uh, dna how are you embedding this core culture in the dna as you scale i think one of the most powerful tools to embed the dna is uh, rituals even to this day i am on the wakefit escalations group even to this day i respond to social media escalations even to this day i tag every every single escalation where wakefit or i am tagged we share it on this group an rca is done whichever is the right person from the cross functional group responds on why this happened how it is going to be fixed and then we move on to the next case basically through this ritual i am emphasizing that this is not an order number this is a person we screwed up this person ordered this because his pregnant wife was coming back into town today and that's why he had ordered this mattress and we screwed up it's not an order number it's a live person with a real problem this is the customer where their in-laws were traveling from another city and they were they have arthritis and they needed this sofa to be at the right height and the we goofed up we made a mistake it's not an order id it's a person through this ritual that's what we are emphasizing and there are many such rituals we do both ankit and me to show that we don't 
treat customer escalations as a percentage we don't say that oh this year this month percentages is 1% escalations and we grew so much so it's okay it's 1% but no when you look at the absolute number on a huge number of orders that's bloody 1000 unhappy customers and they are not order numbers they are not an escalation number they are people and when we do this with every single action and they see us in action they know what we worry about it becomes an automatic part of how they think so i think i would say rituals is a very powerful tool that we use internally fantastic this has been a fascinating conversation uh, chetanya thank you again uh, you know for being on the podcast before we leave what are some recent books that you really would recommend to our listeners and also what podcasts are you listening so the podcast i listen to this a podcast called capital allocators then another one called value investing for legends both are around how to allocate capital in the right way how to look at what channels are op- optimal how do you use a framework to do that because we as founders that's the biggest thing that we are doing daily and how to whatever limited capital we have where do you assign and why so these two are something that i'm very fascinated with and i learn a lot from in terms of books we're currently reading the biography of leonardo da vinci i'm also a big believer in this person called cal newport he is a researcher who writes predominantly about deep work so there is a book called deep work and he's written more books around uh, similar focus and deep work because we as culture and as a generation have become almost attention deficit in our behavior we have the attention span of a goldfish and if you do that you as a person are nothing but a manual router forwarding emails from here to there tagging and looping in person here to there that's all you're doing through the day and before you know it the work day is over so how do you carve out and dedicate time to really think and solve complex problems in your company it's a fascinating thing and please note this is directly in contrast with the productivity fiends productivity hacks that so many people write about saying that yeah. oh this is the email problem you can learn more shortcuts this is the number of uh, distractions that you have this is how you can turn off notification it's this is a very different thinking itself where you're saying that hey i don't want to be in that framework i want to create chunks of time where you're really working deep and bringing the full power of your brain to the problem uh, it's a fascinating thing and i love that also yeah i mean i i think one of the things that i've been thinking of recently is that we're trying to optimize like we're machines right i mean we're trying to get squeeze every last juice out of you know every minute and every hour but if you look at it i mean if you think of the best ideas or even the best kind of uh, things that you've executed i mean these happened in a you know at the most unlikely situations right and um, it's often at the overlaps of things that you've been thinking of uh, which oh. are which have nothing to do do with each other that you get all these different ideas and i think we don't nearly optimize enough for uh, genius actually we optimize for you know being really really uh, producing like a lot of mediocre work i would say if you are fascinated about this project uh, this thought process there's another book called rework written yeah. by the founders of uh, basecamp dhh and jason fried yeah uh, in brilliant book very similar in thought process to deep work and how you can build a company very very efficiently and frugally awesome hey chaitanya thank you again for being on the podcast uh, this was this was a treat uh, i really loved this conversation uh, and all the best for everything that you have coming up in the future thanks roshan i hope the audience found this engaging and helpful all the best if you enjoyed this podcast consider subscribing and leaving a review on your favorite platform Also get updates delivered straight to your WhatsApp inbox by clicking on the link in the description.